Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting guest, someone that has built, scale, you know, exited companies in the past. So all that good stuff that we like to hear. So uh, I think that we're all going to find, you know, this story very inspiring, you know, also very timely with everything that we have going on around climate change. But I guess, you know, without further ado, let's not make anyone wait any longer. Let's welcome our guest, Andrew Ponag. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. So originally you were raised there in Oregon. So uh, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? I had a really nice childhood. I, I really enjoyed growing up in Oregon. It's a, a beautiful place. Uh, I'm actually uh, back here at the moment for the holidays and enjoying the, the snow and the mountains and the forest. So uh, it was a great time. So, so tell us, how, how did you get you know, into the whole thing around climate change? Yeah, I, I became very convinced that climate was the problem I wanted to work on back in middle school uh, and early high school when I started reading about climate change, uh, about the way that the way we use energy is impacting climate. And so that, that was a big passion of mine. Uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that passion. Uh, you know, I was interested in engineering and math and science uh, when I was younger, but still, still didn't really know uh, how I was going to help uh, solve this problem that I really cared about. 
Uh, it was only later, you know, once I uh, got into my undergrad that I, I saw a bit more of a path for how I might help. So how did the um, excitement or the interest around climate change spark? I mean, what, what was there for you that you were like, oh, my God, this is super interesting? Yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, reading a number of articles from climate scientists that uh, laid out a, a very compelling case for why this is something we needed to care about. I think it was also something really exciting uh, to me at that time because of the moral clarity of it. You know, there are a lot of things that you can go and, and, and put your put your life toward. Uh, you know, some of them you have to kind of wonder, am I doing uh, the right thing or the wrong thing? Did I truly make a, a difference for the better? Uh, climate change was one of those uh, sectors that I, I, I was able to, to feel very confident early on. If we could solve this problem, that would be unambiguously good. And so it kind of removed all of those secondary questions from my mind so I could just put myself toward, uh, you know, the, the technical and, and uh, market problems that I cared about. So I know that uh, going to Stanford as well to study, you know, definitely that um, lightened you up, you know, when it came to <laughs> the venture world. So, so how was that experience of going there, you know, the land of innovation, you know, like all the big co-founders that we see on the media and all that stuff, they went to Stanford and they're like the dropouts of Stanford. So, so how was that, you know, for you, like being part of that the incredible innovation, you know, and that movement that they have going on there? Oh, it was uh, absolutely overwhelming when I first got to Stanford. It, it was incredible to see the the number of projects going on, uh, the the integration uh, with the entrepreneurial ecosystem around Stanford. Uh, you know, it was a, I was a kid in a candy shop for sure, just trying to you know take every class I could, join every group I could that was related to energy. And uh, yeah, I got, I got very deeply uh, embedded in the Stanford energy community uh, within the first couple of years I was there. So tell us about that moment where you know, ideas start, you know, to come. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of those, you're like, you know what, this one is interesting. I think I'm going to drop out. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I, I had started uh, working closely with a, a professor in the electrical engineering department, Bill Daly, who uh, was an incredible mentor and, and really taught me and a few other undergrads, uh, electrical engineering, uh, both through his course, but then afterward through a series of uh, breakfasts where he would just, uh, essentially give us private lessons uh, in engineering. And uh, that was an incredible experience. We were working on a project to improve uh, the performance of uh, solar arrays, solar panel arrays. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was an exciting project to me because I knew it had some practical application, but I wasn't sure for the first while that it was going to turn into anything. Um, and I, I do remember the moment, uh, maybe a year into that, when I was a sophomore, that I, I sort of looked at it and, and, and realized uh, Wow, th this could really be valuable in a, in a big way to the industry. Uh, it turns out I was totally wrong about that, but but I do remember the moment when I thought that uh, you know exactly the idea we were pursuing at the time was going to be really valuable. So in that case, the um, obviously the project ended up being Dragonfly. And so mm -hmm. you know here you are, you make it to one of the top universities uh, in the world. So how was that? You know, chat with your parents. Hey guys, you know I think I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna drop out and I'm gonna go after this thing. Yeah, that, that conversation didn't go particularly well. Uh, my <laughs> parents were, uh, you know, very happy to have me uh, at, at Stanford. I made some promises to them that I would go back eventually and, and finish my degree, which I did. Um, but at the time, it was it, there were definitely some tears, and and uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a hard moment for them. But for me, it was actually not a, a hard decision. Uh, and this is the advice that I, you know, people sometimes ask me who are undergrads and thinking about dropping out. I often tell them if it's a hard decision, you should probably just stay in, in school. It's only when you just feel so compelled. There was just no way I, I felt that I could stay 
uh, at Stanford and not pursue this idea because the the idea, the team I was pursuing it with, it was all uh, just too exciting to to let go. So tell us about what happened next. Yeah, so so we, uh, me and a, a couple of others, dropped out of Stanford at the end of that that year, which was my sophomore year. Uh, we hired uh, one of my TAs uh, for the electrical engineering class I'd been taking with this professor, Bill Daly, who is you know the best electrical engineer uh, that we knew, and and that's probably still true to this day. He's an incredible engineer, and and actually works uh, uh, with me at, at uh, the the current company that I have. Uh, but yeah, we 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 dropped out and, and started um, started making prototypes of the the solar power conversion device that that we had, and you know had a had a blast. You know we were really uh, you know young, learning a lot about business, learning a lot about the technology itself, learning a lot about the industry. And actually, what what was what was really challenging was it was only maybe three or four months in after we had dropped out. You know we'd been working on the project for more than a year before that, but after it was only three or four months after we dropped out. That we realized that the the idea that we thought we had the the technology the patents all of this wasn't solving as big a problem as we thought, and so we we had this real crisis of confidence where we said, man, you know what what is the company if what we thought was uh, the core value that we were bringing is, is maybe not as big as we thought it was. How was that product market fit and and team you know side of it? And I guess before even. Answering that, you know, for the people that are listening, what ended up being the business model of Dragonfly? Yeah, so the 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 first thought that that we had for Dragonfly, the original idea was just to improve the efficiency of uh, solar panel arrays by uh, what's called a maximum power point tracker. So something that will allow you to optimize each panel in an array individually, and and you know, therefore uh, boost the output a little bit. You know, so it was it was going to be a play of hey, can we make something that that improves a few percent the performance of all sorts of solar energy systems? And you know, the the, the key learning for me at that time is we had based our um, estimates of how much value we would be bringing to customers uh, based largely on our competitors. So there were some other companies that were trying to do something similar. You know, and, and we were looking at you know their white papers, we were looking at their uh, you know press to to get an understanding. And you know, the the, the model in our mind at the point at that point was. Hey, these people are solving this problem in this way. We can do it better. Therefore, we will be successful. The the problem was our competitors also didn't have good product market fit, and so we were uh, saying we would be better at something that wasn't actually that valuable. And the only way that we we found that out was by going to the end customers, going to the larger solar companies, and and pitching it. And it was uh, only then that that we started to to realize that what we had wasn't as important as we thought. And and one thing I'll I'll just mention along that those lines is we we were very young and people were very excited to you know give us positive feedback and so it took a while before we learned uh, to 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 listen you know read between the lines uh, you know people were always really positive I love what you're doing it's so important you know but when it came to actually saying will you buy this will you put money on the line for this uh, all of a sudden people ah uh, you know I I don't know about that maybe we can wait a little bit see see how things develop. So that was the, the 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 key challenge for us in the first few months. So then in this case, you know, like how how was that process of you guys really knowing that you had product market fit? At what point did that happen? Yeah, so so we, we, we had to go through this this um you know kind of purgatory when when our first uh, product and technology didn't have product market fit. And uh, we, there was actually a moment where we considered uh, just dissolving the company. We thought, oh, you know, everything that, that we have isn't what we thought. 
you know, of course, my parents were really excited to hear that we might be stopping because then, of course, we'd just go back to <laughs> go back to school. But, you know, there, there was a moment where uh, we just made the decision, you know, we have an amazing team. We love working with each other. We're learning a lot. And now we do understand the market. We think we do understand the customers and what they need. And and so it kind of a, a, a light switch flipped that was, hey, we still have value. Even if our technology didn't have value, the, the team and the mission that we have still has that value. So we went back to the drawing board. We scrapped the first product that we were making completely, you know, based on the understanding that we then had of the industry, made a new product. And that was one that was focused not so much on increasing efficiency, but reducing capital costs. And all of a sudden, you could see overnight a lot more uptake from uh, larger customers. So the the big solar companies uh, were, were taking our meetings, were starting to get into commercial uh, discussions. And it was only maybe six or nine months after that that we started uh, hearing the word acquisition get thrown about with uh, one of our, our largest potential customers at the time, which was uh, SunPower, one of the largest vertically integrated solar companies. So um, it, it was a great lesson in, you know, how how much you have to really go to the end customer and and be persistent in trying to figure out what what they really want and what they don't want uh, to get to that product market fit. So then, how did you guys go about capitalizing the business? Yeah, we were we were pretty lean, uh, so we didn't need much. We we managed to fund everything up until the acquisition with uh, you know angel investments. So it was largely through the Stanford network uh, that we found uh, various angel investors, uh, you know, people putting in fifty thousand dollar, hundred thousand dollar checks, um, and that was able to get us there. We we actually raised uh, less than a million dollars uh, in total uh, before acquisition. Wow. So then tell us about the acquisition. How did that come about? And, and, and tell us about that process. How was that journey like? Yeah, it was, it, it was a, a really great learning experience. You know, SunPower was a, a friendly uh, acquirer. They, uh, you know, were a potential customer of ours. And what we were realizing, you know, we didn't have a real concept for uh, things like supply chain at the time. And the idea that, you know, SunPower was going to come to this, you know, group of undergrads with no you know, product or, or, or technology experience and, and, and base a, a critical part of their product on our product uh, was just not realistic. So it, it became clear that we were uh, likely to have to go in, in some way, either to partner with a larger company to produce our stuff, uh, do some sort of licensing model, or, uh, you know, just be uh, acquired straight up. And, you know, at the time, we had started that company not because we wanted to be entrepreneurs, not because we wanted to, to have some huge company. We really started because we, we just cared about making some improvement in the solar industry because we cared about, uh, about climate change. And, and we saw, I think correctly, uh, that if we were acquired by SunPower, we would have access to uh, significantly more resources to put this product into the field. Um, and so that was how we made the decision when those different options were on the table to, to pursue the acquisition path. And, and I think it, it, it worked out well in, in that we did uh, manage to get to scale and get into manufacturing and deploy megawatts of, of these units in the field. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries 
with game tapes relevant to every cell situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous. I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. So how was how was that, um, you know, and finally the, the acquisition, you know, ends up crystallizing? I mean, it's like the full cycle. What kind of visibility did that give you on the whole journey, uh, you know, from building to scaling to really getting it all the way to the finish line? Yeah, yeah, I got to see sort of, yeah, exactly like you said, the full cycle from sort of idea creation to prototyping to, you know, kind of early deployments and then, and then manufacturing all within, you know, about a four year period, uh, you know, between, you know, including the, the time immediately after the acquisition. And, uh, that, that was just in, invaluable, uh, learning because you, you start to see the things in the later stages where, where you, where you regret making some decision in the earlier stages, you know, so, oh, you know, we made this decision early on thinking that it wasn't going to be a big deal or, or something like that. And then you'd see how that played out. And, you know, you're, you're able to, to, to kind of connect the dots on that learning in a way that I think if we had only, you know, stopped partway through that journey, we wouldn't have found that learning. So tell us about the, because after you did the integration, finally, you went back to school and you fulfilled on your promise. So how was yeah. that, you know, now going back to school? I mean, you probably knew more than your teachers. So how was that in life? <laughs> I, I, I might have known more in some very narrow areas than, uh, than the, the teachers, but uh, than the professors. But uh, certainly I, I just loved being back in that learning environment. Um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great, a great time to, to be creative, to have, a, you know, fewer of the demands of the professional world uh, put on you and, and just kind of explore wherever uh, wherever the mind wanted to go and it was really during that time that the most important thing that happened during that time was meeting uh, one of my two co-founders of my current company Antora Energy uh, and that that was Justin Briggs and uh, we were able to to get started thinking about you know what we wanted to do next in our lives you know I had come from this uh, you know you know short entrepreneurial background um, and he was finishing up his PhD at Stanford 
And, uh, you know, we, we started looking out into the world for how we could make the most difference on climate change. And, you know, we, we really had uh, quite a wide range uh, of discussions on things we could do, uh, which was, uh, yeah, one of, one of the most fun periods uh, that, that we've had. Uh, and then came to uh, to believe what we believe now, which was uh, better energy storage uh, is one of the most impactful things that could uh, improve our, our climate and energy picture. So let's talk about Antora, your next baby. So at what point does the idea, you know, come to to you guys, and and at what point are you guys like, okay, you know, let's let's roll? Yeah, I think uh, there are a couple things that went into the the idea, if we want to call it that, of Antora. You know, the first thing was for me personally, being at SunPower, I, I was absolutely convinced that solar and wind were going to continue to get cheaper. And and so that was kind of a, a fundamental hypothesis of, of mine and, and, and became ours, that these were going to be powerful tools to decarbonize the economy. Um, another thing that I, I had started to see at SunPower, though, was uh, the overproduction of solar in the middle of the day, already in California in the middle of the last decade you were starting to see curtailment, you know, where there was so much solar power that you were having to sort of spill it or waste it because there was nowhere to put it. And, you know, you could do some pretty quick napkin math and see if we really wanted to decarbonize uh, the economy, there were going to be times when we had massive, massive amounts of re renewable energy, wind and solar, uh, that we wouldn't have something to do with. And so that was a little bit of the, the backdrop um, you know, the other thing that that Justin and I were looking at was essentially where the emissions were. We we knew that we wanted to work on something that was going to have a big impact, and so we just went back to the to the pie of of where emissions come from. And one of the things that was uh, pretty clear was that industry is uh, you know one of the largest, if not the largest, sector for emissions. About thirty percent of global emissions uh, come from industry, and so we we had this you know potentially huge decarbonization problem of how do you make industry cleaner. And this huge decarbonization solution, which is cheap wind and solar, some of which are going to be spilled at certain times. And for us, it was, you know, how do we put those two things together? And, and the answer and, and sort of the, the, the founding of, of Antora, at least for us, was uh, energy storage. You know, renewables have so much going for it because they're, they're clean and they're cheap. They're now the cheapest source of energy on the planet. Um, but the one thing that they didn't have was, was consistency. You know, the wind stops blowing, the, the sun stops shining sometimes. So uh, you have to have something that can smooth that out. And uh, so th that was what Antora was meant to be. How do you how do you couple an intermittent but cheap and clean resource to an industrial decarbonization problem like heavy industry? So tell us about Antora. Then what's the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, well, uh, before I get ahead of myself, we don't make money yet. Uh, we are uh, still a pre-revenue company, uh, but I'll, I'll describe exactly, exactly. So we're, um, you know, the, what what we do is we uh, deliver zero carbon heat and power to industrial customers, and there's there's really two different models. Uh, one is where we go and we put our energy storage system at one of these sites. We own it, we operate it, and we're just selling energy to the customer. Uh, so we're replacing the natural gas, for instance, that maybe they were burning instead. Uh, the other way is where we're actually selling our system to the customer, and then they they own it rather than than we own it. So it could be an equipment sales model, or it could be an energy sales model. Um, you know, that's something that we've gone back and forth on, which is better. And and I think the answer so far has been there's not one that's universally better than the other. So uh, you know, some customers in some markets it may make sense to do one, and and some the other. But but the core of it in either case is, uh, you know, we're taking cheap solar and wind electricity 
you know, procuring that one way or another, and then selling, you know, consistent heat and power to an industrial customer with our technology being the thing sitting in between that that makes that possible. And for the company, Andrew, how much capital have you guys raised to date? We have raised uh, probably closer to $80 million, including private uh, money and public money. Uh, we've been fortunate to receive a number of grants from uh, the Department of Energy, the California Energy Commission, and then uh, you know, pretty, pretty substantial private investment uh, you know, through uh, uh, seed rounds and uh, the Series A that we did uh, about a year ago. One thing that I wanted to ask you there, Andrew, is that the Series A was a, a pretty big one. I mean, we're talking about 50, 50 million plus. So, you know, typically when, when you would get to a Series A, you know, like the, the investors, they're expecting, you know, some type of, of traction or validation or, you know, perhaps like some type of revenues. In your case, what made it an exception for you guys to be able to raise so much money when the monetization is still not there yet? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, it, it really comes down to, to two things. Um, one is the, the technology validation that we had done up to that point, you know, and that I would include both the, you know, prototypes of our system that we had demonstrated and the performance coming off of those, but also the techno-economic models that, that kind of go along with that. Uh, so, so that's one aspect of it. And then the other is just the, the, the product market fit and the size and, and growth of the market that we're going into. You know, there's, you know, over $100 billion spent on industrial energy every year in this country uh, alone. So, uh, this, you know, if we are successful, uh, we have a, an enormous market uh, to, to make a splash in. So I think, you know, it was the validation up to that point and the size and growth of the market that we were targeting uh, that got uh, the investors excited enough to, to do this very large investment early in the company's uh, history. How big of a market are we are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, one of the largest sectors uh, in the U.S. And, and one of the largest in the world. So, you know, globally, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, spent on the, the types of products we'd be selling. I mean, if they say being at the right time in history and having the wind, you know, behind your back is, is definitely important. It sounds like you guys are riding that wave with all the consciousness around climate change right now. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, we we are very lucky. We feel very lucky about uh, the, the timing of Antora, you know, when we're going to be coming to market with this solution, the amount of, uh, you know, focus, uh, you know, globally that's on climate right now. You know, my, my previous company was also a, a climate company, you know, but, uh, you know, started in the 2013-14 timeframe. And let me tell you, there was a lot less uh, excitement, uh, you know, at that time, it was much harder to raise money uh, and, and many fewer people were were focused on that. So, um, yeah, it's a great thing for Antor and a great thing for the world that there's so much focus right now on this sector. Now, tell us about Antor. I mean, imagine, you know, you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Antor is fully realized. What does that world look like? Oh, great. Um, well, I, I hope that happens because uh, there's going to be a lot of work between now and then, and I'm sure it'd be fun to just uh, zoom right to the end. Uh, but no, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the the... The core of that vision is that we're replacing fossil fuels in industrial applications. So, you know, right now, all of the places where you're burning coal, oil, natural gas to provide heat and power in an industrial setting, you know, every one of those industrial plants, instead, you have an Antora box, you know, an Antora thermal energy storage system that is converting, you know, cheap wind and solar power when it's available into that consistent heat and power for industry and, and displacing that fossil fuel. So I, I'd love in that vision 
that whether you're in the U.S. or, or around the world, when you go to a big industrial facility, uh, you you know that uh, the the core source of energy for that facility is, is wind and solar through an Amphora system rather than uh, a fossil fuel combustion. And in terms of the of the team now, Andrew, I mean, how are you guys going about building the team? And and because obviously team is everything. So so how are you guys thinking about structuring and building the team now that you've raised such a big Series A? Yeah, I, I love the way you put that. Te team is everything. And actually, um, our our first core company value is is team and mission first. Uh, and and again, that was some of, some of the learning that I had from Dragonfly. That's really where the core of uh, the value of a company is 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 the team. Um, but but not just a team in isolation, but a team that is um, motivated by the a shared a shared sense of mission and what they want to do in the world. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a wonderful journey building up the team. You know, we 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 built slowly over the first few years, and then we've been growing very rapidly over the uh, the time since the Series A. I think, you know, in addition to this overall consciousness that that you were mentioning around climate that that's happened in you know in business and governments, the same thing is happening across the board in in individuals in the in the talent market. You know, when people are looking for what they want to do with their lives, and so I, it's been really gratifying to see the number of people. That are flowing from other areas of tech, other areas of entrepreneurship, and and who want to get involved in climate. And so, you know, we we feel very fortunate that we've been able to build a team quickly that's full of incredibly high quality individuals that are really there to solve climate change, not just because they think you know Antwerp is the hottest new thing and they want a bunch of stock options. You know, of course we do all of that, but but we really wanted to make sure that we were building a team of, of committed individuals, uh, not mercenaries. So, uh, you know, the, w the way we're, we're doing that right now, um, you know, we, we actually just brought on a, a head of people recently who is uh, doing an incredible work, uh, kind of laying the, laying the groundwork for this period of rapid growth. So that means everything from making sure we have the recruitment process in place to, you know, a really smooth onboarding process, and then also making sure that the internal company culture uh, remains, uh, you know, the go good culture that we feel like we've had up to this point. Now that was another learning for me at, at at Dragonfly. You know, we had an incredible culture at at the time, and it was sort of accidental. It was not, um, it was not part of a really conscious effort on on my or or my co-founders' parts. Um, and so with, with this company, you know, from the start, uh, it's been a very high priority for us to to get our our mission right, to get our values right, and then keep building the team in a way that's aligned with that the, that mission and those values. So this is uh, Andrew, your second go at it. No, with uh, with building a company. I mean, if you had the opportunity of going back in time and you were able to sit down that younger Andrew, that younger Andrew that uh, is in Stanford, you know, that just arrived to Stanford, that is now getting immersed in in this incredible, you know, innovation that is going on everywhere, and you were able to to go back in time and have a chat with that younger self and and give that younger Andrew one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be, and why, given what you know now? Yeah, I think the advice I would give would be about uh, about the team and the culture. It's so easy to just get started to have an idea that is really exciting, um, and 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 sort of uh, run before you walk. But I think it's so important at the earliest stages of company to really define, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it, who you want to do it with, and 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 how the company should go about executing that mission. And you know that was something that really wasn't on my mind when I was uh, starting the first time around. I think things went well uh, anyway, but I think that um, you know if we had rather than be, be acquired, if we'd wanted to grow into a 
a, a very large independent company, it would have been so important to have that sort of foundation from the earliest days. So I think that's that's the advice that I would give, uh, you know, the, the young Andrew. I love it. So, Andrew, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, wonderful. Would, would love to hear from anybody who's excited to uh, get involved in, in climate, uh, whether that's through Antora or anything else. Uh, one thing that you should know about me is that uh, I love all aspects of, of climate and energy, not just what, what Antora is doing. So uh, always excited to have those conversations. Um, definitely, I, I would uh, invite people to come to our website uh, and uh, also to just send me an email directly. Uh, my email is andrew at antora.energy. Uh, is pretty uh, pretty easy to 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 remember and pretty easy to guess. So I get a lot of uh, a lot of inbound. Amazing. Well, hey Andrew, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, and and thanks for all the questions. It was a, it was a pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.